Hey, listeners, just a quick word about this episode, along with our episodes with Wes Veach and Mike Gerson. All three of these have been a part of a project in partnership with an organization called The One Campaign called Faith in the Public Square. And this is where we explore the role that faith plays as we encounter real-life world issues. If you haven't yet listened to those episodes with Wes or Mike, uh, just head to our feed. It's right there. And I mentioned earlier that we were in partnership with The One Campaign And if you don't know who the One Campaign is, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about them. They are an international, nonpartisan, nonprofit advocacy and campaigning organization uh, who fights extreme poverty and preventable diseases, especially in Africa, uh, by raising public awareness and pressuring political leaders to support policies and programs that are saving lives and improving futures. And we love the One Campaign, Um, Pastor John and Wes. both regularly volunteer with them. And if you want to learn more about the One Campaign and or if you want to get involved, head to one.org. That's one.org. And with that, here's the episode. Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast, hosted on the OKC First Podcast Network. I am your host, Zach Lucero, and I am the creative pastor here at OKC First. What? Wow. I think I'm missing part of my title, sitting here in the room with me, sipping on coffee. What I I wish was... I think it's coffee. Sincerely coffee. But it it could be any beverage. It's in a cup. I can't tell. Um, Is Pastor, Senior Pastor, John, John, John Middendorf. What it is, Creative Pastor. That's right. That's right. Which is weird because who else gets a title that is also an adjective? Right? Yeah. Wait, unless... Is children's an adjective? No. No, that's is not, it not an adjective. Children? Uh, Children's, children's, like apostrophe S, pastor. But that's that, like that's like that a turn proper it into an noun. Adjective? That's a proper noun, or that's a noun that's possessive. Oh my God, I, John, you didn't what tell me happened? that we're gonna, you didn't tell me that we're <laughs> no gonna one be said there would grammar. be grammar. <laughs> uh, the grammar hammer has entered the chat over here, John. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I. Uh, Zach, nobody's what, what does a creative pastor? do i'm concerned about what you're going to be doing with your waking hours well nobody's watching the kids so (laughs) not sure (laughs) um it's not going to be me um uh well that is a very broad term for sure uh what it means for me here in this context is that i am going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that i have been doing just um on full blast uh just a hundred percent of my effort is going to go toward uh, making sure our live stream is running properly on Sundays um, and also improving it. Um, it's going to be working closely with Pastor Tamra on music things, whether that's music creation or just what happens on Sunday mornings with worship. Uh, it's going to be a lot of creating graphics and taking pictures, taking video. If it's something to do with technology, it's probably going to, my hand will probably be in it. You I was will, just up here over the weekend, actually, fixing the internet. So oh, you were cool. this weekend? Well, I was down in the Kohl Center, so I just uh, just thought I would Did pop it in on Did a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. All you got to do is turn it off and on again, and it works. Just that does it. seem to be the, the height of... I'm, I've literally created a career out of it, so <laughs> <laughs> there you go, kids. Your dreams will come true. 
So if I am, if I am, um, if I'm right about this, we have a Facebook presence. We do. I believe we also have an Insta presence. Uh, the kids are calling it Insta. They do. Yeah. They not enough time for the. Um, we also now have a Twitter presence. Well, true. We've had a Twitter. We've had a Twitter. Oh, we've had. A, we've had a Twitter account for the whole time I've been here. Um, and we actually used to have volunteers on Sunday morning uh, live tweet the sermon, which was a pretty fun era, but it just wasn't sustainable. Do we not need volunteers to do that again? It could be something that comes up. I just didn't have the bandwidth at that point to manage it. But right now we, we have kicked Not it back all up. the words, only the words that seem to land of, of the sermon, <laughs> right? That would be tough. Yeah, just like a weird offhanded comment that just doesn't actually... It, we could start tweeting your your amen fishing. That could oh, be it. Yeah. yeah, that sounds so, like, really attractive. It could just be quotes. That one wasn't good enough. Didn't want to really quote. get bogged down here. Actually, yeah. yeah. Oh, weird. <laughs> you didn't want to talk about this. <laughs> no, I want to see if the rumors are true that we have a church TikTok. Could you say that one more time? TikTok. I thought you said tick to talk. No, um, no, no. TikTok. No, no, not ticked talk, but no. TikTok. T i k t o k. Look at you. You yeah. even know how it's spelled. Yeah. You're yeah. not as old as you Is look. that rumor true? It is true. It is true. We do have a church TikTok. Right now, it's just a lot of you on that TikTok, oh. and it's a lot of preaching. Let's say somebody wanted to go find and, uh, and, and sign up for that particular feed. Where would they find that particular well, feed? Well, if you... Uh, Go to the TikTok app if you already have an account and all that set up. I'm not going to walk you through that. But if you just go into the little uh, discover or search thing, you can type into the little search bar, OKC first, all one word, all lowercase, and uh, bam, that'll take you right to our thing, our page, and you can follow it, and uh, you can uh, you can get all the goodness from that. Um, there's going to be a lot of your sermon stuff on there, including... Um, a lot of the extra video work that we have done and will be doing. And so it'll be, it'll just be some good, good theology just being infused into just a dumpster fire called the internet. Um, so I'm actually really excited for that. that so TikTok as we record happen. today, uh, how long have we had said TikTok account? Uh, a week? I mean, yeah, a week, maybe. Would you like to hazard a guess as to how many followers we already have? Dozens. 23. 23? That's Almost than I two dozen. Oh, <laughs> double dozen. Um, yeah, yeah. some of that stuff's already getting traction. Who knew that TikTok would be our place? 23 whole people are following us. Hey, um, is there a chance that we'll have a... Uh, what else is on the horizon there? Like We've talked a little bit about uh, LinkedIn. That's true. Yeah, LinkedIn is a is a... It's fertile ground for us to, to and break why? into. Why? Um, why have all these presences on the different platforms? Um, I think like a portfolio, diversifying your presence online uh, to catch different types of people, different types of users is really important. Um, and as, I, not to get too far into the weeds, but like with the main platforms like Facebook and Instagram, for instance, Instagram is owned by Facebook, slash meta or whatever they're called now. Um, and they, they work off of algorithms that um, aren't 
time-based, aren't linear-based. And so um, you really are kind of working up against it to get people to even have eyes on whatever you're putting out there. Um, and so getting onto these other platforms that don't have um, algorithms that work the same uh, just give you a better shot at, at getting to more people, um, spreading the message. You know, you and I had talked about um, – I've talked, we've had a lot of conversations about what, what's the value of this? Like, what's the value of, of being a church that is online, that does have a presence online? And I've gone back and forth, just like you have, um, where I've had, a, I've had seasons where I'm like, yeah, all of this is great. Awesome. This is perfect. We're actually a better church online. And then there have been seasons where I've really kind of, yeah. um, really clenched my fist and been like, no, 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 it's, it's all local. It's all tangible. It's all physical it's all in the room. It's all in the room. Um, where I've landed is somewhere in the middle where I think that there is value to what we do online. Um, because sure. we are still technically in a pandemic there are still people who don't have the ability to, um, to experience a lot of the freedom of life that that some of us who don't have immunocompromised uh, family members or don't have kids who are um, of age that can't get the vaccine or whatever the reason, um, there are still people out there who can't come to church, who can't be a part of a public space. And so keeping them tethered as long as we can um, and thinking of the online space as more of a more of a tethering or front porch type of a platform for us to then just keep people within our sphere of influence so that maybe someday we do become tangible in some way, whether that's them coming physically back to church or some of our ideas like traveling to them. And um, I know that we have a contingency of people in Kansas City amongst mm-hmm. other places. And there could be, I could see a world where a few of us pastors go up there for a weekend retreat or something, or we establish uh, a local pastor there. Uh, I know in Kansas City, there is somebody yeah. pretty good yeah. who we could call upon. Yeah. He's getting a little old, but... Uh, My you mom. Know, <laughs> Mamadorf would yeah. crush this. Crush um, maybe yeah. Papadorf might yeah. be a better fit for it. but um, Probably help her. Yeah, it, it would be great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's. Uh, I think the online stuff is still incredibly valuable for... Um, you know, breaking into the breaking into people's daily lives too. I mean, um, your sermon is able to live way longer life, uh, a way longer life um, through TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And people are, if you think of it as just reminders, it's not replacing church. It is, it is like I mean, it's supplementing. Like, yeah, it's like uh, on your phone, your lock screen right now is the Ash Cross mm-hmm. um, to serve as a reminder every time you open your phone mm-hmm. um, that you know we are from dust and mm-hmm. from du- into dust we shall return, um, and it's a reminder of your brokenness and your sin and, and all that stuff. Just like um, a lot of what we do is just reminders because we are forgetful people, and so uh, when we leave this building or leave the space on Sundays, maybe seeing a TikTok on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday will help carry you through your week, will help remind you, oh, this is who I'm called to be. Yeah. These are the types of people that I'm called to be um, in my daily life because like faith is meant to be brought into your daily life. I don't know if you do that. but Yeah, and, and we will not lessen our belief in the... Uh, there will not be a decreased belief in the, tan- in the, the value of tangibility of faith. Yeah. So being present... That said, um, 
I think we are extending that presence um, geographically, but also maybe cr- like in terms of time, chronologically, I guess you would say that, or yeah. chronic Chrono- Chronologically. Um, but extending that presence um, because we aren't always here in the room together. Yeah. You know? So uh, Creative Pastor is going to do all those things, but I happen to know that you are also moonlighting a bit. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do as you moonlight. Uh, John, we covered this on the first episode. Did we or really? the second episode. First or second. Yeah, I make waterbeds, John. That's oh, what I do. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, right. I, uh, in, in, my, in my real life, I... Uh, I I do photography on the side. I actually started an LLC. Like I am I I am branded. This is wild. What's like it called? Zach Lucero LLC. Like my name has value to it now. Up I'm all not, night thinking of that one. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> <laughs> my dad was really disappointed. Actually, yeah, <laughs> it's like really. Like, really? That's Sheesh. what you're going with. I'm like that. That's the thing that has value. Like that's, people know my name. Like it doesn't make sense to be like Shutter Photography. Nobody knows. What about Zach attacks your pictures? Zach attacks your pictures. Not, no? not even giving you that. One. I'm not giving you anything on that one. <laughs> if, if the listeners want to come up with a better name for my LLC that I'll do nothing with, because it's really, it would be really annoying to change the name at this point. <laughs> I've got like papers and everything that say my name on it. But, uh, but yeah, I I do photography, whether that's like senior pictures or. Um, Family I, pictures with Middendorfs because we true. got that as a Christmas gift. Yeah, and we need we re- to schedule time with you soon. We really do need to schedule time. I keep meaning to reach out. And also, uh, I think I'm taking pictures for your daughter's wedding. What? Ah, uh, Taylor's getting married, and I'm going to take pictures of it. Little known, little known piece of trivia. Yeah, she's getting married on June the fourth. That's right. Happens to be our anniversary as well. John and Kelly's anniversary. Not, not me and you. No, no, no. not like when that's we... John and Kelly's anniversary. But it's also my parents' anniversary. And it was her late father's birthday. That is just precious, John. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? That's so special. So that's what you do when you moonlight. Yeah, what do you do when you moonlight? Oh. Yeah, you, that's what that's what you wanted, right? <laughs> like you you asked me that question so that I would ask you too. Like, hey John, like your shirt's looking pretty good today. What do you think of mine? Mine. Long story short, er. Oh, good. There came a time when I was asking God to to help me to matter, help me to figure out ways to matter more, which is not always a great prayer to pray. You matter to me. So I know, I know. But I, that was going through a time when I wasn't sure that I I uh, mattered quite as much to my entire tradition as I as I had prior to. Sure. And same week, I got an email from a guy unsolicited, and I thought it was just spammy. I was going to just delete it, but it was like, hey faith leader in Oklahoma, but it called me by name. So we'd like to invite you to join us uh, in Washington, D.C. because we want to we want to ask you if you'll be a lobbyist for us uh, and push particular pieces of bipartisan legislation as they have to do with um, international aid meant specifically for people in sub-Saharan Africa. And they reached out because they knew that we had a uh, a work in Zambia and, and the reputation of the church helped out a little bit there. Uh, and, and so I went and just, and just took to it. There's, I just, I love everything about it. And, uh, I have enjoyed now over the last mm, probably four years getting to know 
the people who represent us, and not just in D.C., but here as well. I mean, I, I find myself in the offices of, or on the phone with, or on a Zoom with, uh, legislators at all levels talking about pieces of legislation that I think help move us toward health and wholeness and hope and life and vitality for more and more people. Yeah. And I'm also, uh, I'm, I, it strikes me that in John, there was a whole season of John Wesley's ministry career um, that was just that. Uh, he he walked the halls of power and said, we, we must do better for the people on the margins. We, we must do better for all kinds of people. And so I feel like in pursuing this lobbying thing, uh, all of it unpaid, um, it's just it's just me trying to put some more skin and flesh on what it is that we say we believe around here. And as it turns out, hopefully it, 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 it does help and support our friends all the way over in Zambia. So, um, and that's what we did today, actually. We had one of those meetings today and interviewed uh, Senator James Lankford. Our uh, senator. Our from, senator. From Oklahoma. From the great state of Oklahoma. And as I, you know, I won't give away that joke. That was, I'm just going to leave that joke in there where it is, let people hear it and enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. Um, senator Lankford and I don't, uh, we don't agree about everything, but we work in the area of overlap. And uh, he has before been very helpful to help push some things uh, across the finish line that results in very real and tangible help to our friends in Zambia and beyond. Yeah, because he's, he's on a particular committee that's pretty helpful for that. Well, he's on the committee that oversees uh, financial accountability, but he's also on a committee that, that has an interest in international affairs and health and all that kind of thing. Uh, so it was good to talk with him today. It was good to get him on the pod. Um, but it was also good to hear to hear where it is that we find this sense of overlap and how it is that we can work in it yeah. uh, to support. Well, how did you feel like it went? I felt like it went great. Yeah. I thought he was open and honest and gave us some pretty good answers. And uh, I actually really enjoyed his, uh, his rapid fire session. That was pretty short, but uh, you only get so much time with a, with a U.S. Senator. A U.S. Senator. An us Senator. Um, Megan Metter, one of his staffers there in Oklahoma, in uh, Washington, D.C., actually helped to, to put it together. So yeah. if thank you, Megan, Megan listens to this, thank you, Megan, for working this out and just <laughs> putting up with our persistent knocking <laughs> on your door and saying, hello, we we said we were going to do this. And um, and she worked it out, and it was great Yeah, um, and really did enjoy it. Yeah. And so with that, U.S. Senator James Lankford. We are here with Senator James Lankford, representing the great state of Oklahoma. How are you doing, Senator? I'm doing very well. Makes you want to just burst into the song Oklahoma when you say that, doesn't <laughs> it? Right. Say the great state of Oklahoma. It's a, it's a beautiful day here. It's a beautiful day. 
Yeah. Hey, it's good to see you again. I, I want you to know that um, this is the 20 some odd, we'll say 24th episode of Unafraid Podcast, and you are the very first redheaded person to ever be on our <laughs> podcast here. <laughs> there you go. Well you, done. I'm, I'm, helping, I'm helping cure your ginger shortage. <laughs> That's uh, right. So you can make up some space. I'm pretty sure ginger shortage was the name of my band in high school. So <laughs> yeah. well done. But thank you for being here. I know, I know you're busy. And, and before we get into some of these questions, I just want to let you know, if you remember several years ago, you came and, and stood in the shell of a building and delivered a few marks about what a community center could do uh, in this neighborhood. Yep. And I just, I just want you to, to know that uh, that community center is now fully finished and we are doing everything from medical services to food security services to literacy services to after school care to mentoring and discipling everything that we dreamed that day has come to fruition and i appreciate the role that you played in all of that so thanks for your support of this place mine was the smallest of all possible roles it was to get there and get uh, to see all the facility to cheer for you to be able to pray over that facility and then to be able to walk out and say, tell me when it's done. Uh, <laughs> I do drive because I, I live in the Oklahoma city area. So I do drive past it all the time and think about it uh, just about every time I go past it and wonder how things are going. And I do need to just stop by at some point and just wander in. You do just, just call me ahead of time so I can clean up my office a little bit. Okay. So just <laughs> come on by anytime. Hey, uh, I read the portion of Mark Batterson's book that has to do with you um, hearing God's call in your life. You'd, you'd already been called, but God was calling you out of the Christian camping ministry and right. into a different role. Can you, can you just walk us through that process here just a little bit and, and tell a little bit of that story in your own words? Yeah, I can. I was, for people that don't know me in this, they, they see me as Senator Langford. Um, but if you'd have seen me 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was youth pastor James. Mm -hmm. uh, I was 22 years in youth ministry uh, before God completely interrupted my life and, uh, <laughs> and moved me into the political world. This was not something we expected. Uh, but in 2008 and 2000, early 2009, my wife and I, every time we sat down to read scripture, every worship service we were in, uh, we just kept hearing God say to us over and over again, get ready. It was just this repetitive conversation from God. It was just always get ready, nothing else which is really exciting for about a month. Uh, but then after a month, it's not exciting anymore. It's a little nerve rattling to say, God, I, I don't know what I'm getting ready for. I keep hearing you say, get ready, get ready. I don't know what this is. And in September of 2008, I was doing a seat at the poll rally. And um, well, let me think, I'm gonna get the dates wrong here. I was doing, no, it was 2009. I apologize. I don't get the dates wrong and be factually incorrect here. Okay. But yeah, September 2009, I was doing a seat at the poll rally in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, far eastern Oklahoma. I finished up the rally and was just driving home that night. It's about two hours. And, and all I can remember is just praying the whole way saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. Huh. I keep hearing you say, get ready. I've taught students for two decades how to listen to your voice. I'm trying to listen. I'm going through all the steps. I've taught students on what to do to be able to listen, to be able to hear you. You're trying to say something. I'm trying to listen, and I can't figure out what this is. Huh. Uh, so basically, I spent two hours griping with God, I guess, the whole way home. <laughs> and then when I got home that night, uh, I was just reading the news online. And it was no big deal. It was just a normal thing for me late in the evenings to be able to go through the news. As I was going through that, uh, going through the news, there was a gossip story more than anything else that at that time, 
who was in Congress at that moment was Mary Fallon. So this was September 2009. There was a rumor that she was going to run for uh, governor in 2010. And it, it was just this really weird thing for me to be able to go through and see it. But as I'm as I'm reading through the story, it was like just another story. But for the first time in about six months, God really spoke and said something different besides get, get ready. It was a really clear, that's what I want you to do. Mm. And it was so crystal clear. It wasn't audible, but it was very clear. And what I encourage people in this is if you don't know how to discern God's voice, you need to spend time to be able to ask him in the noise of the day, how to be able to discern what's his voice and what's noise. And because I really take seriously the scripture when he says, my sheep know my voice, mm. they listen and they follow me. That that's not just some statement that he threw out there that he really means we can learn how to be able to discern the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to be able to know that. But it was so jarring to me to be able to hear that. I, I remember leaning back in my chair and my little study at home and saying, God, that's insane. That's not even possible. <laughs> um, and so three, I, I didn't tell my wife later that night, which is not like us. Three days later, I just can't shake his very simple statement of that's what I want you to do. That's what get ready means. Is that right there? So I'm back in my study. I'm just trying to research the congressional district and how many voters and just trying to be able to learn something about it. My wife walks in, looks at my computer, which faces in the middle of the room. She looks over my shoulder and says, what are you looking at? And I just said, county statistics. And I thought, I don't even know how to even, even answer the next question that's going to be coming. Is She's going to say, what in the world are you looking at that for? But instead, she has stayed for a long time and said, we're about to run for Congress, aren't we? Huh. And I said, what, what makes you say that? And she said, I don't know. I just know. And I said, I, I need to tell you what God said to me three days ago. And so we spent a long time talking about it, praying about it that night, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And uh, we committed that night. We're going to spend a month praying about this and just say, okay, God, we're going to be faithful to pray about it. But I honestly thought this was going to be like Abraham, Isaac, and Mount Moriah and the Ram kind of thing. <laughs> the guy was just going to test our faith yeah. and is going to say, we're going to take it to the top of Mount Moriah, but we're not going to do this crazy thing. Uh, but we prayed about it for a month. And at the end of the month, God was like, oh, no, we're killing Isaac this time. You know, there's no Ram here. Uh, we're going through with this. Your career, all the things you've done in the past, that was preparation, but you didn't know what it was preparation for. We're about to do this. And wow. so we struggled through that uh, for the next several months. And eventually in March of um, that next year said, okay, God, we're, we're going to run. We're going to do this. We resigned our position as a director of the Falls Creek camp at that point, because uh, it's a nonprofit. I wasn't going to put them at risk and spent the next year living off our life savings and running for Congress because we really sensed this, is what God had called us to do. So it was a complete life interruption but we knew this was what God called me to do. And I had the decision to be able to make at that point. I can either follow God's leadership or I can one day be an old man sitting on my porch telling my grandchildren about the time I didn't follow God when I knew it was him. Wow. And I just determined I'm not going to be that guy. And uh, I don't know why you're calling me to this, but we're going to follow you. I love it. Uh, and I'm not surprised to hear it. And like I say, I've, I've heard it in one form or another or read it before, but it strikes me every time. So God calls a pastor to go to Washington, D.C., and now you're a senator and you're in a, a pressure cooker all the time. My first question has to do with how you um, 
are navigating faith as an individual believer. How in the world does James Langford find Christian fellowship while they're on the hill? How do you find yeah. Sabbath when you were there in that context? Yeah, Sabbath is harder than finding Christian fellowship, as, as, as strange as that may be. I, I really describe coming to Congress as no different than going to college. Uh, you've got high school students that were very involved in the youth group and very involved in church, and then they go to college and they blow out and walk away from their faith. And some people get closer to God when they go to college. Uh, going to Congress is really no different. Quite frankly, any person that experiences a move in their life has a moment to decide, is my faith real or not? Hmm. It was real in the last place. Is it still real here? Uh, and you know from all the biblical stories, there was all this thought originally in the pagan cultures that God was a God of a place but he wasn't a God of another place. And, and all these different nations that were around Israel would talk about their gods are powerful in their place. And the God of Israel was the God of the whole world. Uh, but you really get to test that when you step out into a different place for any of us. Uh, so there, there is Christian fellowship here. Uh, there are other believers, uh, myself and a guy named Steve Danes, uh, who's a senator from Montana, a uh, solid, godly guy. Uh, he and I host a Bible study uh, that we do on Tuesday mornings early. And uh, there's about eight to 10 of us uh, that are all senators that we get together on Tuesday mornings, have breakfast together. Some of them have never been in a Bible study ever in their life. Uh, this is their first time to really be able to walk through a scripture. And we eat breakfast together and we're walking verse by verse through scripture. We're finishing up Ephesians, almost done with that. And uh, we just walk verse by verse, talk about how this affects our family, our life, mm -hmm. our, our worldview, how we treat our staff. Uh, so there are brothers that are here. Uh, and one night a week that I block off, and there's a group of us that are Republicans and Democrats and folks in the House and Senate. And we have dinner together and we guard that off every week and we check on each other's families. Uh, we check on how we're doing personally. Uh, there's this real sense if you don't have some kind of accountability and conversation about how you're doing in your faith, it's easy for any person to walk away. But with the pressures that are here, it's even simpler because this place pushes you away from God. If there's not a group of folks that are you're experiencing fellowship with to be able to pull back in and reset, uh, then it would be easy to be able to squeeze right out and just take the simple path. Yeah. I came to meet with you, and we did meet, uh, and just later that day, it just so happened that I was going to also meet with uh, Senator Coons, and you said, yeah. huh, I was just meeting with uh, Senator Coons, and I, I, don't, I just need to tell you how encouraging that was, uh, because Senator Coons is a Democrat, I believe, from Delaware. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And for you to, to talk like you did about him, though he sits on the other side of the aisle, is was a, it was great encouragement to me. I wonder why we don't hear more of that out here about folks yeah. extending hands across the aisle. Why do you think that is? It's not, it's not great television, quite frankly. Great television is two people screaming at each other. That makes for good TV. Uh, mm. Two people standing next to each other and uh, finding commonality and agreement. Uh, doesn't make for great TV. Uh, Chris Coons is a legitimate friend. Uh, we check on each other's family. We engage. Uh, I tell him he's a great friend. He votes wrong all the time. <laughs> all the time he votes wrong. But um, he and I have great conversations about faith, about our families, uh, about what's going on just in the, the craziness. There are only 100 people in the world that understand what it's like to be able to be through the election process and to be able to serve in the United States Senate. So there are some commonality issues there. Um, but we have other issues. I mean, we, they, they raise lots of chickens in Delaware. That's their big issue is chickens. Well, we raise lots of chickens in Eastern Oklahoma as well. And so there's some policy areas where we can talk about as well, as well as our faith and our family. Uh, but you're right. That doesn't make for great TV. And I'm okay with that. 
for us to not have the sunlight on us all the time in our friendship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the friendship's real. Yeah. When when we have met, it has always been, except for when you you come and see us here. It's about our local context here. But in in Washington, we've talked about international aid and. Inevitably, yep. we end up talking about how faith comes to bear on um, how faith comes to bear on policy and even the vote of of James Langford. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like as you as you enter into a conversation about a particular piece of legislation, to what extent is your faith guiding or ordering your steps? Well, let, let, it, it, everything, by the way, as it should. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to tell people uh, there, there are folks that will catch me and say, well, you were in ministry, but now you're in a secular position, so you need to take that off. Uh, I typically will smile at them and say, listen, if your faith is something that you can take off, it's not really a faith. Hmm. Uh, that's just some something else. Uh, your faith should affect every part of what you do. It affects your relationships. For me, my relationships with my staff, my, certainly my relationship with my family, people I disagree with, I still see them as creating the image of God. They have value and worth. We're going to disagree on something, but th that's a person that I can still disagree with uh, and have a different perspective in that. Uh, I try to make my debate um, solid on the principles that I really believe are right. But if my debate ever becomes personal and caustic and I can't walk away and be able to share Christ with that person later, I so destroy the opportunity to be able to talk to him about Jesus that debate has moved past what it should be about the issues and it moved into something personal and destructive to the kingdom. It can't be that, but, al but it also affects how I see certain things. For instance, I don't think government is the most efficient in actually doing human needs and care. The church is, nonprofits are, families are. And when we talk about safety net and we talk about safety net issues, everybody immediately runs to government and says, well, government's a safety net. And I'll remind people, no, there's really three safety nets in America. The family is the first safety net. Nonprofits and churches are the second safety net. And government's the third one. And government's the least efficient by far. Government can deliver checks to people or set up programs that are incredibly expensive that take care of very few people. The most efficient in that is going to be the family and churches and nonprofits. So whatever we can do as a government to be able to encourage churches and nonprofits to be able to step up and to meet human need, we're going to meet human need much better at that point. Mm -hmm. Same thing with foreign aid. When you've got churches and nonprofits that are doing foreign aid, they're boots on the ground that are actually looking people in the face saying, how can I mentor you? How can I help you? They're not set up as a government to just say, I'm going to feed you today. They're engaging in life change and transformation that makes a real difference in culture. So I see that different because of my own background. And so I'm not just constantly driving the next government program to solve all things, because I don't think there's a government program that's going to solve all things. Mm -hmm. uh, the families uh, are the first foundation of that, and churches or nonprofits are the second. They're the ones that are going to be the most efficient to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And yet you still have cast those votes before to help mobilize some of those government resources to help where oh, yeah. families and, and some of these nonprofits can't can actually get to it. Absolutely. Actually, I'm not anti-government. I think government has a responsibility uh, but they're third in line yeah. uh, as far as who is most efficient in actually taking care of it. Uh, for folks that are anti-government, I also tell them they're anti-biblical um, because yeah. government is a design yeah. of God. Um, he's the one who's the designer of government and is put in place for a certain reason to punish those who do wrong and to bless those who do right is a biblical principle that comes from government. Uh, so, in, in fact, if you want to go through Scripture, 36 of the 39 books of the Old Testament were written to, by, or about a political leader. 
36 of the 39 books. A third of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, third of the pages in the New Testament, were written to a political leader. Uh, Paul, in his calling from being Saul when he struck blind, and when the prophet Ananias is to come to and lay his hands on him, and God says to him, lay your hands on that person, and Ananias says back to him, hey, God, do you know who this guy is? He's a bad guy. <laughs> and God responds back to him, yeah, I know exactly who he is. He's my chosen instrument to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Gentile kings. Uh, so there's this political connection out there. God cares about what's happening in government because government affects people. So I'm not anti-government yeah. because to be anti-government, I'd be anti-biblical worldview. Yeah. Unless I just misjudged uh, our conversations, I don't think I did. I think one of the phrases on which you and I kind of connected was this phrase, the least of these. Uh, it's such a part yeah. of our, oh, it's a part of our language, uh, as, as believers, and a couple times we have talked about the least of these. At one time it was about least of these here. When we were at your office down, downtown, it was about least of these in an Oklahoma City situation. But in D.C., it, again, it tends to be about sub-Saharan Africa and uh, mm -hmm. refugee care and that kind of thing. One of the things I've appreciated about you is even then, uh, you would like to be a good steward of resources. So we talk about stewardship right. a lot. And one time you said, I can't, I can't support this good piece of legislation until I know that there's a good stewardship model behind it. And so we got that for you. Yep. And sure enough, then you came through. How, how, does, how do you balance? Because ministry is not always, it's not always possible, right? Some, uh, what's the yeah. story where, the, where Judas objected that this, this perfume was being wasted, right? And Jesus okay. said, come on now. Yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah. We don't want to use those same metrics. So how do you balance as you cast votes the need to be a good steward, but also recognition that, man, what we got to do what we got to do to preserve and protect human life? Yeah, it is. When, when you're dealing with foreign aid, sometimes you want to be able to make sure you've got good accountability to mm -hmm. make sure that you're not just sending aid to a warlord in some location that's going to basically feed their troops and starve everyone around them or use that as leverage uh, to be able to actually, you know, empower themselves uh, in their right. little mini fiefdom that they've created. On right. It. So that you, you've got to have certain metrics with it. I, I look back at what was done uh, by um, um, Gates. Uh, when he was dealing yeah. with actually distributing vaccines on it, where he had an accountability when you're distributing vaccines in very remote areas, he had a GPS device uh, in the actual cooling container uh, for the vaccines as they're being delivered out. And for this one, I believe it was polio that they were doing. Uh, so then when they would get it out there, he would make sure that the people that they were paying to actually deliver it to the remote villages actually went to that remote village. That's basic <laughs> accountability. Yeah. To yeah. not just say we're throwing money out there and assuming it's going to get done, yeah. but we're actually getting the job done. It's easy in third world countries, especially where there'll be some non-governmental organization that'll rise up and say, I need that money. But you find out more than half of it was just used for administrative costs right? and very little of it actually got to people. So what I'm always looking for is how, are we getting efficient delivery of these things actually to individuals and is it accomplishing what we believe it's going to accomplish? Or is it just have a really good title on it, but it's really not accomplishing that? Those are those are hard things to be able to discover. Uh, and at times, it's impossible to be able to discover because there are no metrics on it. Uh, but you've got to be able to make decisions on it. Listen, listen, every vote that I take, 
I have to make hard choices on it up here yeah. uh, because no bill is perfect except for the ones that I write. And they're clearly <laughs> perfect. The ones that come out of my office, but the, the, every, every bill that I deal with, I've got to negotiate with 99 other people in the Senate that are as hard headed as I am. And they've got ideas as well of what should be in it or what should it not do. They've got different life experiences that they're attacking on it. And I've got to get 60 people on this side of the building to agree that's the best we can do on it. We can get reach common ground. Then 218 people on the other side of the building and then a guy down the street to sign it yeah. before we move it. That's not a simple project. And uh, I encourage anyone to grab a group of 100 people and just to say, where do you want to go for lunch? and right. see how hard that is to get 60 of them to agree we're going to go for lunch. Right. And uh, then you'll find out how hard it is to be able to move multi-billion dollar bills. That's true. We actually have that struggle each Thursday for a staff lunch, and it's maddening. So we're just going to put it on a, a, a rotating wheel, I think, or something like that. Um, does the United States have an obligation to be a moral leader in the world? Uh, we don't have an obligation, but we do have a responsibility for that. Uh, I would I would only say that uh, every every entity chooses what they're going to do, whether they're going to step up. And the United States, in seasons of our history, have chosen not to be able to take that on. But I yeah. I, I prefer uh, leaders that are role models, and I prefer nations that are role models, yeah. uh, based on the leaders that are actually coming out of that. That makes a big difference. Uh, and in seasons of our country's history, we've not been a good role model mm. and we've not been a good example and we've not taken on the responsibility. But we are the largest economy in the world. We're the most powerful, most moral military in the world. Uh, we have a constitutional construct that is the oldest constitution in the world. Uh, we have some unique gifts that we can bring to the world. Uh, what we declare poverty in our nation most other nations would beg for around the world uh, to be able to live in the level of poverty that That's people right. in our nation experience poverty. That's right. Uh, we have people in deep poverty in the United States carrying their cell phones around that I think there are places around the world that the wealthy don't have in that region a cell mm -hmm. phone. Uh, so it, it, it's, a, it's a different dynamic for us. So I do think it's a good responsibility for us. And we choose to take that obligation in seasons and we choose to deny it in seasons. Uh, we, I think you, you know this, that we have a work in Zambia, Africa, and uh, the work that I have done in your office and in other offices, Senator Kuhn's office, I, I feel like it's a blessing to be able to go and see some of that work come to fruition then on the ground there in Africa. When I use the terminology of moral, lead, moral leadership where the United States is concerned, man, I, I feel... Uh, I feel like the global fund is one of those situations. And I know we want to get to a question about hope uh, after this, but I, am I wrong about that? Or do you feel like the global fund is one of those ways that we can demonstrate that kind of moral responsibility? No, we can. There, there are several different tools that we have. Uh, global fund, obviously, there are other areas. There's, a, um, there's different funds that actually help functioning democracies to be able to grow what's called civil societies. Uh, so they can build their own nonprofit structure behind the scenes so they're not government dependent, but they're kind of raising up leaders. Uh, there's investment uh, entities that we have as a nation that try to help entities and yeah. nations uh, get off of Chinese investment because right. the Chinese investment always has strings attached uh, that, that lend them towards communism, which strips all human rights and dignities at the end of it. And so our engagement, uh, because we have freedom, 
when we engage with other countries and our what I tell everyone is our greatest export is our freedom. Uh, when we present that to other people, we're actually giving people hope and opportunity to be able to say, I don't have to live under an oppressive dictatorship. There is a way to be able to learn and to be able to grow and to be able to actually uh, self-govern in a way if they can learn to have obviously the not only self-respect, um, but a moral clarity among their nation as well. Right, right, right. Senator Langford, uh, thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. It's 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 awfully generous, and we like to we like to end all the pods on uh, a question uh, called hope. Um, I think our listeners would would love to hear from a civil servant like you um, in a world in a country that is becoming increasingly more polarized, um, contentious, um, and, and all of us demonizing each other. Where do you, where do you see hope uh, in our country and in the world? Uh, honestly, I see hope when I turn the news off and actually talk to people uh, and get out into a restaurant or chit chat with folks at Walmart or just when I'm out and about. Uh, I see people trying to take care of their families, trying to do their work, uh, that are actually trying to engage and to be able to do things. You see it in churches and nonprofits all the time and people trying to be able to find ways to be able to bless and encourage others. Uh, people that watch the news 24 hours a day, um, oh, it becomes depressing and yeah. you become focused in on and it makes you more angry. And the cable news on, on all varieties on that now, they basically begin each day with, if you were angry yesterday, wait till you hear what I'm <laughs> going to tell you today because you'll right. be even angrier. But they do it every single day. And it's really driving people towards more anger and more isolation to where all they want to do is talk to people that are angry and they become more isolated. Um, our anger doesn't lead to a righteous life. It just doesn't. And so you've got to be able to pull back from some of those things and to say, what has God called me to do? He's not called me to be more angry. He's actually called me to a task. Yeah. And so where I have real hope is when I engage with people that have really heard God's call and they're doing it. Uh, it's to me, uh, if I can say this quickly, sure. when I read Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah at the very beginning of it, it's 150 years past when the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. Jerusalem has been overrun by the Babylonians. Nehemiah is now living as a slave under the Medes and the Persians. He's probably never even been to Jerusalem. And his brother comes back from Jerusalem is when the story opens. It's been 150 years. And uh, Nehemiah says to his brother Hanani, what's it like there? And Hanani says, oh, it's awful. It's terrible. The people live in disgrace. The walls are down. The gates are burned up. It stinks. And Hanani just walks away. Nehemiah falls to his knees and it says for three days, he just fasted and prayed, asking God, what do I do? And where I find hope is there are some people that are like Hanani that they say, gosh, it stinks out there. It's awful. And they walk away. But there are other people look at the same exact situation and say, God, what is my part to make this better? And they actually take the next step. Yeah, That's where I find real hope is when I meet those folks that are saying, I'm actually working to be able to make it better, setting the example, and I'm going to go do the work. Thank you. I, th I think you have to go. We would typically uh, ask rapid fire questions, but am I right? Do you need to go right now? I've got, I've got probably two or three minutes. Perfect. So it's okay. going to be rapid fire. Rapid we can, we can make that? it happen. Okay, go ahead. Yep. So uh, we're going to do one... Uh, three questions. We'll do three questions. We're going to start with John. You haven't been prepped. We're just going to confirm that you haven't been prepped for any of these nope. questions, nope. right? I, I, I not. And you're just making me afraid. Just saying that. Okay, sweet, <laughs> sweet. All right, we're going to start with John, and we'll we'll do one with John, one with me, and then another one with John. Then we're good. Your favorite restaurant in Oklahoma City? 
Uh, Hefner Grill, actually. Oh, Sit oh up there, watch God. the sunset with my wife. That yes. that is a great date spot. Yep. My wife and I love that. She'll be yep. tickled to hear that. Um, yep. uh, what's one thing that you wish you would have listened to your parents about as a kid? Oh my gosh, my mom would tell you everything on it. <laughs> uh, one thing I wish I'd have listened to my parents on uh, more. Um, wow, let me count the ways. I don't even know where to start on that. Uh, I, I would say probably studying more early uh, because I'm a perpetual procrastinator. And uh, she was absolutely right. You do better work early than you do late. Well, we're going to get your mom on a pod for the next one. So we'll, we'll check your work <laughs> That's right a great there. Idea. Hey, uh, last one. Uh, let's say that you're on the stage and you are fulfilling the dream to be a rock star. And there is a song that's playing <laughs> that causes you to absolutely destroy your guitar on the way off the stage. Oh. What is that song? Wow. So I grew up in, uh, I graduated high school in 1986. And so you can just count all of the 80s songs that are out there from, uh, I was listening to Rush and to Def Leppard oh, right. and yes. all the all, all the classics on that were I was into all that, but I was also into a lot of the country stuff as well. But there is no, if you're going to talk about just a guitar riff, there is no riff better than just Sweet Home Alabama. It's not a hardcore rock song, but whatever is in that guitar riff in Sweet Home Alabama, just the world needs more of it. (laughs) I'm with you. Hey, good to see you. And, And I know you're busy and I know you're under a lot of pressure. You got lots of folks pulling for you. And, uh, thanks for the work that you do. Guys, thanks for the work that you're doing. A lot of families count on you doing things well. And uh, the way you're taking care of people at the community center and at the church day-to-day and the interns you're raising up to be able to be right behind you uh, is really important. So thanks for mentoring and engaging and uh, being hands and feet of Jesus in Oklahoma City. We we need that. Thank you, Senator. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, y'all.